acorns are jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, for as a mouse is Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 204, Flax Day, Thursday, August 9th, 2018. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yin Hu podcast has a Facebook page, and it's available on iTunes. Each time I record an episode, I post photographs, show notes, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode is a very special one because it's going to be completely about the Flax Day at Quiet Valley, which I attended on July 17th with my friend Hope, who's the proprietor of Hope's Favorite Things in Richmond, PA. You've met Hope on the podcast before, and I'm very pleased that she has agreed to join me today so that we can work through all of the different parts of flax processing and flax sprinting that we learned on Flax Day at Quiet Valley. Welcome, Hope, and thank you for joining me on this episode. Well, thank you for having me, Sarah. Can you tell us a little bit, first of all, about Quiet Valley? Because that's where we went to learn all of this, and you have a little bit of a history participating in historical events there. Yeah, so Quiet Valley, um, it's a living historical farm um, up in Stroudsburg, and um, I first heard about it years ago, um, the, the previous owners, uh, were actually the, was a teacher of mine. So, yeah. Okay. So Mr. and Mrs. Euler were the, um, previous owners and he was a agriculture and horticulture teacher at the school. And, um, he's, they've both mentored, uh, kids, um, for years and so they have these um, special days and flax is one of them Um, and probably about 23 years ago um, was the first time I spun flax and it was at the um, flax day there and I think that's I've always been interested in the whole process of it it just amazes me And you got me interested in it. (laughs) And one of the things that I've been doing is spinning a little bit on my supported spindle with a regular preparation of commercial comb top, but it has a 12.5% flex content. So I've been thinking a little bit about blending flax in with wool and some different things like that. So you got me all excited about attending flax day. And like you said, the Quiet Valley has different days devoted to a certain kind of craft or learning. And anyone can go pay admission 
and learn about it, but we wanted to be, (laughs) we were crazy, and we wanted to be really participants in it and get a hands-on experience and be able to work throughout the day learning a little bit. And so to do that, we went in period dress on a baking hot day. Um, my experience with period dress is that my parents used to do pre-1840 camping when I was growing up, and I have a collection of clothing, a long skirt, a chemise, a a lace-up sort of bodice, um, a pocket. Pockets during that time were separate and fit inside your skirt and were often embroidered. Mine isn't. It's very plain. I wore moccasins. And I had some jewelry that my dad had made. And I had a hat that was not period, but it was all right, I guess. And I brought my things in a basket. You know, sort of really thought about having things that weren't plastic or contemporary or brightly colored or anything like that. So that's what I was wearing. What were you wearing? Well, I also had a choice of what to wear. My mother had an antique shop in Belvedere years ago. And she had a lot of Victorian clothing. Um, so mine were, my dress was a little bit later. Um, yeah, it was a little was, later in time period. Yeah. So, um, but I wore a, a white blouse and it had some uh, tan stripes and little buttons. Um, and a long skirt with... Of course, long slip underneath it. Don't show any leg. (laughs) Wouldn't want to do that. No. And a long apron, of course, because spinning flax is um, sometimes uh, messy. Mm. And um, some uh, tie-up black boots. Okay. And you brought your wheel with you, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So that's a good point about the apron. There are a couple of things from this period dress that I take with me into contemporary times, and it's not very typical. People often sort of look at you sort of weird. I think working in a dress is much more comfortable than working in shorts or pants. And if I have a hot job to do, I will always wear kind of a loose dress, not to the floor, but, you know, something that when you crouch down or kneel down, it's covered. Right. And to me, that's so much more comfortable. And the other thing is taking to wearing an apron more often. Mm -hmm. I've made a pinafore. I put it on or just throw it over my lap when I spin. Um, I try to remember to put an apron on when I'm cooking at home. You know, it just, it's very practical and it really saves your clothing. And I think it's something that's gone out of fashion and maybe should come back. Yeah. Okay. So we... We kind of missed this part and went back to it a little bit later in the day, but they had planted some flax at Quiet Valley. They have quite extensive gardens there, and they harvested it with some children who were part of a camp. I think they all got to participate in the flax harvest, and later on we got a demonstration from Mr. Euler of how exactly that harvesting happens with sort of a, what is that, scythe? Yeah, scythe. Scythe? Scythe? Yeah. A scythe, and he was kind of thrashing it. And then the flax, after being harvested, would need to dry out completely. And that's really a challenge in 
humid northern temperatures for sure. In fact, it poured later that day, and the harvest, a lot of it got wet. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though the next step, redding, is getting the flax wet in order to start breaking it down, that can't happen until it completely dries out. And the one uh, woman in period costume who was doing the scutching and the breaking she explained that once the flax is dried, it can be stored almost indefinitely until you're ready to process it. It may discolor, you know, things may happen to it, but it's pretty much a commodity that you can just harvest, dry, and store, and it doesn't go bad, and you can work with it later or wait till you accumulate enough to do something with it. So that's the harvest and the drying part. And then the next part is this process called retting, R-E-T-T-I-N-G, which is essentially rotting, right? It's rotting the outer core. The outer layers of this flax plant because what you use to make a, a spun fiber is the inner, the uh, inner core. Right, the inner core, yes. Um. So there are a couple processes of doing that. One is to do reddit, which means what? Do reddit. They spread it out on their yard and just let it rot that way. Um, so or, every night the dew comes down, right. gets it a little more wet. In the day it dries out. If it rains, you just leave it. Mm-hmm. And that process, they said, took maybe a couple weeks. Yeah. And then the other process is vat redding, which means what? Well, that then you would take the bunch and um, either submerge it into a pond or a tub or, you know, some kind of uh, body of water that, but, and then you, you know, there's always the chance of letting it uh, rot too long, you know. And that's when she explained the two processes and one was like a few days and one was a couple of weeks, I was like, no brainer that. And then she said, oh, well, but it's really easy to let it go too far. And then it starts breaking down. And the only way to know is to pull some out, dry it, see what you've got. And then you can either pull the whole bunch out or let it go further. So that seems to have a lot more question marks, the vat redding. Mm-hmm. Um, in the final product, it was also clear that the vat redded um, flax was paler and more pure in color, and the dew redded flax had more of like a dull brownish or greenish mm-hmm. appearance to it. The next step is breaking. Want to talk about that? Well, after it's dried from uh, the dew or the, or the that, then you would um, take, well, the, the, the break that they had was um, a big wooden, like, lever. lever I, essentially, lever the tool was a lever. Yeah, it was I know. two parts. <laughs> and it would just break it down. And so what you're doing is you're just breaking up all that outer layers so um, you can get to the inner core. And there are, some of these tools are a little bit difficult to describe, but I did take a lot of photographs during that day, so you can see them on my website if you're interested. Um, And I suppose there are different variations of a flax break, and she was using one of them. Right. Um, 
The next step is scutching. And for this, um, she had a scutching knife and a block. The block was just kind of a big stump, I think. Yeah, just anything that you can... Mm-hmm. And then she had a scutching knife, so she held um, she held a bouquet, I guess you could say, of flax. The same flax she had just taken through the break several times. And then she held it over the block, and with the scutching knife, which is a wooden knife, she just started whacking some of that outer pith off away from the core. And I thought that she was using either using the knife in the wrong hand or the knife she had was not made for her right-handedness or left-handedness mm. because the narrow part of the blade seemed to be on the outside away from what she was using. Hmm. Did you notice that? No. I was I thought maybe she wasn't doing it. I right. wonder if she it's like a left-handed knife and she's right-handed. I didn't pay attention to what. Uh, well, you basically I I thought you should scrape it more. To the scrape, like a scraping motion, kind of. Okay. Yeah. To really get that off. Yeah. So by then it was looking a little bit cleaned up, but then the next step in the process is hackling, which is very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you take your, your bunch and it's still, um, it is a lot more flexible than. When More like hair-like, yep. starting to get hair-like. But it still has a lot of those outer um, pieces stuck to it. So that, when you um, cast it over the your hackle, it's like a big, giant nails. It's like a hairbrush <laughs> of nails, yeah. kind of. Well, some are bigger <laughs> than others, I guess. It looks very intimidating. Um and then and you just cast it over and pull keep pulling it through until all those um, pieces are are off of it. And I have read different things where they actually used like maybe two different sizes also. So you, uh, you, you need to get through like a, yeah. a coarse one and yeah. then a finer one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So after that, and all of that outside is more or less removed, it's time to prepare it for spinning. So I was using a spindle, a drop spindle, which I'll talk about a little bit, but that is really because I have a contemporary wheel and my wheel didn't have any place there. I don't think it would be very good for spinning flax. And um, you brought a more traditional wheel. And it has a distaff on it. So the first step would be to prepare the distaff, which means what? So when you're done with um, your heckling, you have like this piece of fiber. It looks like a horsetail almost. Mm -hmm. And um, of course you wanted to get it as, you know, fine or as, as flexible as as you can for spinning so then you have to it's called dressing your distaff so you would dress your distaff and there's a there's a few different ways to dress the distaff and some of them um i think different countries did different oh, ways different style yeah is the distaff always shaped the same because i think maybe even the shape of the distaff itself 
influences the look of it because I've seen some that are like completely right. conical mm-hmm. and yours wasn't it, it was oh well it, mine was missing a couple of oh, yeah I needed to get okay. a couple little the, apple tree switches and stick up in there I okay somehow lost it in the okay travel so that makes but sense that's now. a good point because um I actually just picked up a a Saxony type wheel um and their distaff is just an upright, fancy... Um, it's like a turned piece of wood? Yeah, yeah. And you would just tie it onto the top. And I believe it's Swedish. So I think that they're, they're different. Okay. You can do it in different ways. Different ways. And, and my distaff is, resembles like cotton candy almost when you dress it. And there was one there who, was that Mrs. Euler? Mm-hmm. She had dressed her distaff that morning, and it was that perfect spun cotton candy looking thing. And that seemed to really aid yeah. the ease of her spinning. It, I, I think it does. Makes a big difference. Yeah. So there are, I took a series of photographs of one of the women putting flax on your distaff. Uh-huh. And so you can see a method of doing that. And then often you see, in artwork of spinners, you see um, a ribbon tied Mm -hmm. around it. And it always looked kind of ornate to me. The real purpose is just to kind of keep that all on there. But then we were just looking in a a resource book you had, and I learned that flax spinning was considered a ladylike occupation, and so some of the fa- flax wheels look very ornate, like would be good in a parlor. And then maybe having a fancy, colorful ribbon would add to this idea of, you know, being a lady or being an eligible wife or something like that and kind of add to the allure of the look of this thing. It wasn't completely functional only. Right. Okay. Um... So do you want to talk a little bit about how it was spinning flax with your wheel and a little more about your wheel? You said it was a, is it a reproduction or is it? No, it's, it's, it's an antique wheel. Um, and it's, it's in really good shape. Um, it has little notches all around the edges. Uh, and it's spun really well. Uh, I haven't spun in a long time. So I had to kind of get used to it, but there is a rhythm to it. And with flax, I prefer to spin it using um, a little bit of water. And I think that's the way that usually uh, most people did. Mm-hmm. You know, it just soothes it, smooths it out. It um, makes it just a little bit easier to spin and it makes a, a finer almost like a glue there's it's almost there is yeah some consistency of yeah I felt like that the distaff and then the whole idea of wetting your fingers and having these cute little water bucket you got a cute little water yeah. bucket to hang on your spindle or at your wheel and that act of dipping my fingers in and then running it along the fibers it felt like it did strengthen it it felt, yeah, like it kind of created 
maybe an enzyme reaction. Like a glue type, yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, I have to look that back up, but I believe that you have to watch where you do ret your flax because there is some kind of a uh, something that it, it gives off in the water. So you wouldn't want to uh, ret it in the cow trough, maybe, that the cows are eating or anything of that Or if you're going to put it on your garden or your field, yeah. it might have a bad reaction. Yeah, I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was some discussion of, like, where you could do that and why people... Another reason why people may have do-reddit it do, right. as opposed to vat-reading. Mm-hmm. Especially since if you were going to make anything substantial, you would be doing huge quantities of it. Right. We only saw like a very small harvest um so the distaff the water and then the other thing we learned uh that's particular to flax spinning is that it's spun first with an s twist that somehow that is a natural growth characteristic of the fiber and whereas we would typically spin our singles of wool with a z-twist you start spinning the flax with the s-twist and then if you're going to ply any of it you would ply it in the z-twist that was very very difficult like a learning block for me because when I started I got a little chance at your wheel and I could not keep the treadle going in the s-twist I had a really hard time so you seem to pick it up. Well, I uh, no, not really. I was <laughs> Maybe having a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once you start, you know, it's like anything else. You get into a rhythm. But those old wheels, sometimes, you know, they're they don't run as smooth all the time, and they mm-hmm. jump or yeah. And you're learning how to. I think with wool spinning, I'm used to doing a certain amount of drafting, either a forward draft or a backward draft or Mm -hmm. draw and with flax it was more just keep smoothing it out and feeding it onto the wheel there wasn't really that act of drafting and I think I naturally wanted to do that yeah with the drop spindling I brought my Jenkins Turkish spindle which would not be an ideal tool but I did manage to do some spinning on it And I didn't have a distaff, so I just had a bunch of it in my hand. And I was doing a kind of drafting. I was dipping my fingers in the water and then pulling a bit out and trying to get uh, a consistent evenness to it and letting it drop. It was very strong, so I didn't have a lot of problems with it breaking. Um, Letting it drop pretty far to the ground and then winding it around. It was very stinky. It was very stinky. And when I finally took it off my Turkish spindle, there was like a that residue mm-hmm. all over the shaft and both of the arms. I was a little bit worried, but I did get it off. I was able to get it off and uh-huh. to buff the wood up again. But it was pretty interesting. Yeah, even just that couple hours of spinning, it was pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. So, what are my options with a distaff with a drop spindle? Well, they do make some uh, little distaffs that hang from your arm that you can use also. I think I've also seen them tuck one up under their armpit kind of thing, like it's on a 
I don't know, like a broomstick or some kind right. of, of yes. a, something that a paddle that you could put under your arm and then you would have it. Maybe I should explore those options. I think that would be fun. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing that it's difficult not to notice throughout this process is there's a lot more waste product Hmm. than there is beautiful, soft, pliable flax ready to spin. And so this was collected in baskets and it looked really messy. It looked like a rat's nest, sort of like some sort of animal would burrow in there, but it was collected in baskets. And then later in the day, we saw a demonstration of what's done with all that stuff, which is? Well, that is called tow. So that, you know, they didn't waste anything. And they used that for making tow ropes. That's what tow rope was actually, uh, yeah, that's where it got its that's name. That's where it's got its name. Or toe head. Someone <laughs> but, with blonde hair, yeah. fair hair. What else is interesting is that um, it's called flax. It's not called linen until it's actually spun and it's linen thread. So before that, it's flax. Flax is the plant. Linen is the thread it's, or the fabric. Until it's processed, it is not called linen. Yeah. It's flax. Good point. Yeah. And so the tow wheel was just a, it's like a bulkier wheel, very large orifice. The spinning process was not refined. It was very, very rough. And then to make that tow rope even stronger, I assume there would be the plying process. Right. And the more plies you have, the stronger that would be. Yeah. And that wheel was fun, and it, it had a big flyer. Like the big country spinner flyers? Yeah, the flyers. big flyer. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll just close with a couple of resources. One of the things that we were constantly referencing throughout the day was Ply Magazine's um, issue 20, which is devoted completely to flax. It's the spring 2018 issue. And then this morning, as we were preparing for this episode and doing a little bit of discussion... Hope got out the Encyclopedia of Hand Spinning by Mabel Ross, which she picked up when she first got into spinning many years ago. No longer available, you said. But it proved to be a really great resource, so maybe finding a used copy um, would be helpful if you're a hand spinner or you're interested in extending your knowledge. What was your biggest takeaway from the day? You, ha- I learned a lot because almost everything about what I saw was new to me. But what was your biggest takeaway from participating in that day? Um, I guess it would have to be the uh, the Z and the S twist and just um, getting that into my, my head that that's the way. And it makes sense now because of the wheel construction that I was told about and... Um, I don't think it honestly really matters when it comes to the actual thread or... I think it, it shouldn't be a barrier to giving it a try if you're just going to do some Z-twist, just right. go for I, it. I don't, I don't think that, you know, like as far as the Z and the S-twist when it's with knitting and crocheting, I don't think it would make a big difference with mm-hmm. the linen. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, it would be good. <laughs> I guess it would be a good exercise to 
do some S twist, do some D- Z twist, yeah. and then try knitting or crocheting with it and see what the difference is. Right. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Hope. The shop is opening and customers are starting to arrive. So we're going to close this up. And you can visit Hope online at Hope's Favorite Things. And definitely give the website a look because there's a lot of photographs and links um, from our day at Quiet Valley. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Acorns jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass. For as a mouse, it's a sweet nature. A sweet nature thing. It's a sweet nature. A sweet nature thing. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine, mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine, mighty fine nature thing. Leaves lay down like a lady, waiting for a naked man. River bends like an elbow, turning stone to sand. It's a It's a sweet nature, a sweet nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing.
hate you deserve is gonna get you high. You better tell your face to smile. Jump in the river naked and hang your country mind. It's a sweet nature, sweet nature thing. Yeah.